Hey, what's going on? It's a very special one-hour early edition of Canucks Talk today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Drantz, also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Drance, we are we're here. We're excited. We're all set to break down the biggest, most anticipated game in the country today. The Vancouver Canucks versus the Colorado Avalanche later tonight in Denver. The big event that everyone has been hyping up for months and months. No, look, of course, this is going to be a little bit of a different show. Uh, Canada's playing their first World Cup match in 36 years against Belgium. They are just underway. We're still Canucks talk, so we're going to be talking Canucks for the next two hours. If you're listening, we appreciate it. Here's the deal, though. We we have the game on. We have Canada-Belgium on in the studio. We're watching. We're following along. We are going to be telling you what happens. If Canada scores, if Canada concedes, if there's a big event you need to know about, we are going to be relaying it live as it happens here. So if you were hoping to PVR the game or something, this is your spoiler alert right now. We will be getting you the updates uh, from Canada-Belgium. <laughs> Considering France. you just about got a <gasps> yes from me right there, I would expect a few of those over the course of the show. Canada at the World Cup. It's incredible. Uh, it's first time in my lifetime. Like it never has I, happened in my life. I was six months old the last time. Wow. So I technically, technically, it has happened in my lifetime. But yes, no, no great not, memories. Not for me. One. Not for me. Like since Canada was last in the World Cup, I've been born. I grew up. I went bald. I got married. And that, and there they are. <laughs> the four stages of life: and born, there. grew up, bald, married. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> that's. Hey, look. If you need to be reductive, that has been my life. That's my Bill Dung's Roman. Ooh, there you go. There we go. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, you don't even know no, how to pick that one no up. There's no easy huh? way to move on from that. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of the, um, you know, the cross sport tie-in, right? Like we're a Canucks show, but we have oh, to, we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. The cross sport tie-in is very, very obvious. It took the Canucks, and I mean the Team Canada yes. Canucks. 30 years to re- return to the World Cup, 35 years to return to the World Cup. One hopes it doesn't take the Vancouver yeah. Canucks that long to return to the playoffs. Well, what was the, so the absolute, <laughs> but it might, the nadir, <laughs> the nadir for Canada, of course, was the 8-1 defeat yeah, in, in CONCACAF qualifying yeah. to Honduras it, in yeah. 2012. So it's a 10-year turnaround from the absolute low to the highest high of the program now so look i mean i guess you can even be half half glass half empty or glass half full there either it took 10 years or it's possible it's possible to pull it out of the ditch and turn it around yeah it's a different type of thing it's completely different obviously <laughs> no and uh you know you can't you can't trade your guys for draft picks in in no. world soccer well and there's no and there's no salary cap there's not even realistic uh financial fair play when it comes to international hockey right it's like uh like you know if Team Canada ever gets to play a best-on-best best hockey tournament, right, it's going to be how many millions of yeah. salary, right? Yeah. It's the only chance we'll ever get to see, like, 200 million worth of cap hits on the ice at once. You know, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, especially in a weak link sport where the advantages sort of extrapolate uh, are exponential when you get that much talent on the same sheet. So, you know, there are no sports cross-sports comparisons, and, and that's okay. That's okay. The fact is it's fun as anything. 
that Canada is playing at the World Cup. It's too bad it's not happening in the summer. It's too bad it's happening on a Canucks game day, to be yes. totally honest. But one benefit is I was able to go and visit the website at our friends at Play Now, and and I created a little maple parlay. There I've you got go. The, I've got Canada to win or draw, so double chance Canada. All right. All right. Parlayed with a Raptors money line. Sure. There you go. There you go. So if if anyone's got a good maple themed parlay going today, let us know. By the way, speaking of counter programming, we won't spend too long on this, but there's just been two almost simultaneous trades in the NHL right as this Canada game Love it. Uh, kicked off. Ryan Reeves going to the Minnesota Wild in exchange for a 2025 fifth round pick, and uh, the Maple Leafs picking up Connor Timmins. Uh, so there you go, adding uh, addressing from the Arizona Coyotes. from the Arizona Coyotes for, for yeah. what. I believe somebody named Curtis Douglas, who I'm not familiar oh, with. Curtis I'll Douglas. Michael Douglas's youngest brother. Sure. Um, no, I I also have no familiarity with Curtis Douglas. I like Connor Timmons, though. I like Connor Timmons a lot. Uh, he really was not working out, though, for that Coyotes team. Wasn't really getting a shot. They have a, they have a lot of like weird young depth mm-hmm. uh, on, on the blue line. Obviously, with the injuries that the Leafs have now netted. Uh, getting a player like Timmins makes a ton of sense. It would have made sense for the Canucks, to be totally honest. Like, I'd rather see... How old's Timmins? 22? 23? I think he's 22. Let's see. Hold on. Like, he's more in line of the type of depth acquisition that I'd see... He's 24. 24, okay. Yeah. Just turned 24. So, then he's very much in line with the Bear, Stillman, Dermot yeah. crew. Although, with far less NHL experience. So, yeah. I mean, whatever. The Canucks have already cast that... They've already rolled that dice. Uh, but I do like Timmins... A, a fair bit, a, well worth a worthwhile gamble, I think for um, for the Maple Leafs. Uh, so there you go. So a flurry of activity in the NHL. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative: visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Uh, Canada already a few forays into the uh, into the attacking zone forays, into the final huh? third. Yeah, well. You got to change your vocab when Do you're you? talking soccer, right? It's it's you know, know, that's a classy touch. Entering entering with control. The the final pass in the in the or the the what is it the final third? Yeah, the final third. But there's a there's a word for the pass that I'm uh, looking for that I'm forgetting now. Anyways, this, what, is, this is why I'm, I'm I'm a hockey guy, and not a, what, a sorry, soccer what, guy. What do you, obviously, I don't know. Okay. Well, we, I don't know. I, I just like I just like the word "what" said in like British soccer announcer style, where it has like eighteen extra H's. It's like what, what quality? Exactly. I love. It's it. all about the quality. Oh, oh, whoa! Oh. A shot on goal. An attempt by Tejon Buchanan after a corner. Uh, shot on goal from in the box, saved by the Belgian goalkeeper. All right. All right, let's eventually get around to some Canucks talk here, Drancer. Uh, they play. Is that what we do here? They play the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Avalanche. I will admit, this is proving more difficult than I was expecting it to because Canada's playing in the World Cup against Kevin De Bruyne. I know, it's Against, wild. like, what, a top five player in the world? And they're looking good. They like, are. They're looking positive. They're on the <laughs> They're on the very positive, yeah. very positive from Canada so far. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about <laughs> let's wh- talk about it. What quality? Yes, the what? Canucks opponent tonight, uh-huh. the Colorado Avalanche, a little bit banged up, a little bit banged up, but may get Sam Girard back tonight. Yeah. So just the the injury update on Colorado, as you said, looks like they'll probably get Sam Girard. And by the way, uh, it looks like VAR is going to check for a potential handball from oh, Belgium. Let's and- go. 
it is one. I am not really sure what VAR is for if it's not for calling this a handball. So the referee is looking at it right now, and just based on the replay we saw, it looks very, very much like Canada might be awarded uh, a penalty kick here at the World Cup within the first 10 minutes of the game. So we'll have more on that I, I as hope, it unfolds. I hope, I hope Mark Crawford doesn't leave Wayne Gretzky on the bench for it. <laughs> there you go. The cross-sport comparison. Yeah, and there it is. It has been given. The penalty kick has been given. Canada will step up to the spot. This, this I show, no, this I have show, no idea what is happening in this show anymore. This, this show is going to be so weird if you're listening to it on podcast. Please just uh, accept that we're fanboying for a moment. Oh boy, oh boy! True great moments in radio broadcasting here. So why we while we wait for that penalty to unfold uh, in the ninth minute of that game again, Sam Gerrard. Let's you're, talk, all, let's, you're all waiting to hear about the update on uh, Sam Gerrard. Sam Gerrard, whatever. Look, the Avs are good. The Canucks are not so good. We'll see. They might still win. That's sort of the long and the short of it. We could do that for 20 minutes. Uh, somebody texts in, enough happy Canada soccer talk. Stop having fun. Tell me how bad the Canucks are. <laughs> oh, happy to. Hey, this is our one opportunity hey. to have some fun. Hey, so Alfonso, Alfonso Davies steps to the spot. Yeah, let's go. And then after this, let's talk best shootout takers in Vancouver Canucks All right, let's do it. Yeah, but we need to get into We'll get into it. We're just filling we time here as we wait for moment. the kick. I don't, know, I don't know how else to handle this, so I, oh, boy. I, I'm just giddy. Like I, I'm just I'm, like... I, I got the butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> legit. This is a huge, huge Canadian sports moment unfolding in front of us. Like legitimately, a massive, no, a huge, a massive Canadian sports moment in history uh, unfolding. And a right big here. moment for the Vancouver Canucks and playing game nineteen the of the season Canucks. against the Colorado Avalanche later this evening as Alfonso Davies is stopped, gets another chance, and he can't convert. Alfonso Davies does not convert the penalty kick for Canada. Pain. Golden opportunity. Golden opportunity for them to take the 1-0 lead. It is uh, Thibaut Courtois who makes the save, and then uh, Davies can't get the shot on target uh, after after it was spilled back into the box. All right, so I was not expecting to call a Canada penalty or to uh, be conveying a Canada penalty in the first 10 minutes of the show here. But there we go. We got that out of the way. We'll uh, we'll try to get back into the rhythm. I don't know if I can. I'm Canucks too disappointed. Here. <laughs> I'm like crushed over here. Isn't Jamie. that your normal mode for doing the show? Disappointment? Sadness? Yeah, but Dis discouragement? This is a different form of disappointment yeah, and of sadness. Course. You know, like the Canucks could fix it. <laughs> like, you know, Canada, Canada cannot. Like that's... Uh, well, anyway, so thinking about who's your, who's on your short list of best Canucks shootout takers in franchise history. I mean, as Ky Alfonso Davies, Kyle Wellwood. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he might make a like he might make a longer list. I don't know that he's on my like top five short list. He's definitely yeah. not the guy who comes to mind first. Who's the guy that comes to mind first for you? There's only one right answer. It's number sixteen, Trevor Linden. Trevor Linden is the best, one of the best shootout takers in um, hockey history. Period. Not just Canucks history. Remember, he used to have that like move. He'd just skate in fast, and with his big frame, he'd wire it. it yeah, was such a direct move. Just yeah. rip it, top corner, almost an unstoppable shot because he was this gangly six foot four guy with a huge reach. He was. He. I mean, he's literally. If you go look at it, he's one of the most statistically successful shootout takers in NHL history. It's like mm -hmm. him and Victor Kozlov and a, a couple other guys you'd expect. Oshi, Datsu, Jonathan Taves. You know. Uh, but that's that's the class that Lyndon is in. So Lyndon is actually the correct answer. All right. And then I think there's a couple other guys. What I, I'm trying to remember because I know 
Burroughs had some success, but then his, nu- did his numbers drop at some point to yep. kind of take him out of the conversation. People kind of figured out that backhand move. Yeah. We're out. Of, and the funny thing is now we're out of the the golden or bad age of the shootout, right? Where they were so frequent and so common now that we have totally. three on three overtime. So it's kind of like receded in my memory a little bit. And we don't see it nearly as much as we used to. It's much less a part of the game mm-hmm. now than it was when it was initially uh, we still brought see it, in. Canucks, still, it still happens. The Canucks actually have some really good shootout takers right now. Like this was, this is probably, if you put this team against the golden era Canucks in, in a shootout, in like 10 shootouts, mm. I think the Canucks, this version of the Canucks are winning a lot of them. Just because well, the Twins weren't good oh, at it. Ryan say, Kessel that was, was always okay. an issue for those Canucks teams because their two best players were not shootout guys, right? right. Uh, by the way, Canada is all, all over, over all over Belgium. <laughs> oh, like all over oh. Belgium. Oh. Thibaut Courtois just have to make had to make another save. Uh, and it looks like they're talking about a potential another penalty or no, that was no, offside. offside. It was offside. Anyways, Canada absolutely all over Belgium. Uh, and Torgi, I love this text. He says, I could cry right now. I'm relying on your guys commenting. Also, Burroughs was good, I think. That's Burroughs is pretty good. Torgi. <laughs> <laughs> and he was. He was very good. Or pretty uh, good, anyways. This is, this is truly a ridiculous exercise for us. This um, is uh, completely bizarre. I hope I, no one is listening to this podcast. I've never done a show quite like this, so... Here we are. We're doing it. Best Canucks penalty takers uh, or penalty shot takers uh, of all time. So, or shootout takers, specifically. JT Miller probably has a case for, like, fringes of the top five. He's really good. He's really good, especially now that he's got that wide move. I know he didn't score the last time he did it. Also, Bo Horvat's pretty good, but, you know, the, the whiff against Nashville where he missed, where he sort of lost that the handle. That wasn't great. That sort of looms large in my imagination, which might take him out. But, again, this Canucks team, I mean – the best option that the Golden Era Canucks had was Burroughs 1, Edler 2. Do you remember that? Burroughs yes. 1, Edler 2. Didn't Edler do the like backwards skating move or something? Or am I no, imagining it, that? Wasn't that? Wasn't that Mason Raymond? Mason well, Raymond, Mason was Raymond the did man the spinorama. The spinorama. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I uh I mean that was that was I was such a good team with so little <laughs> individual shootout skill, it was truly wild. Like it's it's amazing that no one was good at it. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like, even Kessler, the year he scored 40 goals and had a wicked wrist, wish, wish shot, not not good at it. No, 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 <laughs> not even not even close to good at it. And what Daniel Sedin had in the alumni game, like the legacy game at the Hall of Fame, he had that beautiful backhand finish on a penalty shot. And after the game, I actually went up to him and I was like, what was that? <laughs> Where was that? <laughs> what, what happened, bud? And he was like, yeah, no, I... Wish I'd had that in my playing days. I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, I bet Alain uh, wished he had that in Seriously, his playing Seriously, would have been worth well. an extra five points a year. He would have been out there. He would have been out there all the time for it. Um, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's uh, it's a hodgepodge in there right now, as you as you might expect. Uh, more than the show? <laughs> yes. No, not more than the show. No one, no one's touching that. Um, again. We're doing Belgium-Canada updates as they happen. Uh, we're talking about the Canucks and the Colorado Avalanche. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us a little later in the show. Uh, Canada is just putting Belgium's elderly backline in absolute misery Misery uh, right now with Ooh. their speed. Their speed and pace. That was well called. Not speed, pace. Pace up front, up top Got for uh, for Team Canada. Drancer. So that, I don't we'll, know what I'm talking about. We'll, so. we'll, uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on that one as we go. Oh, oh, what quality from their pace, but no cutting edge we in might, the final third. We might have to drag um, 
reach in for like a five minute update post halftime or something. I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We're we're making it up on the fly. Truly. We're making it up on the fly here. I promise I won't bring out my British announcer too often. As you said, Sam Gerard looks set to return for the Colorado Avalanche. Still Landis Cog. <laughs> I know. We're back to Gerard. I don't know. What am I gonna do? I don't know. Landis Talk Cog, about Gabriel Byram, all out. But, I mean, what are you going to do? It's still the Colorado Avalanche. It's still Nathan McKinnon. It's still Kale McCarr. They Sorry, like, repeat that. How many defense do they have out? Uh, well, I don't know about defense, but they have Byram out. Okay. But they also have Landis Coggin and Chushkin. Got it. Out. And Sam Gerrard looks set to return. So you'll so, have Devontae's, Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard in the lineup. A it lot, certainly looks like A tonight. lot of their two-way heft, right? A lot of their best four checkers, which is good because that's where one area that the, this Canucks team tends to be, or at least can be a little bit vulnerable, right? Is the... Um, if you attack their, if you if you cut off their attack at its stem, right? Mm-hmm. This team can struggle to get moving north south. So the fact that the Avs have some real forechecking talent absent, um, you know, is notable. Also, the Avs are lacking in center depth this year, right? Evan Rodriguez is a nice player, but you want him on your third line. Uh, Alex Newhook, I, I think the sense around the business and and even in Colorado, out of Denver, is. Newhook's not quite ready for yep. for the cadre replacement role, and that's okay. To say, yeah, those are awful big shoes that you're being asked to Huge step into. Yeah. Oh yeah, just a casual, consistent 35 goal scoring matchup center. Good yeah. luck. Good yeah. luck with that 20 21 year old kid like Pod Colson's age, right? So same draft as Pod Colson. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that's tough. Um, as such, one of the sort of subplots here is if there's going to be a team that may end up bidding rather aggressively. To add, oh, I don't know, maybe a 15-goal centerman mm-hmm. who wins 60% of their draws. Do the Canucks have anyone like that? They sure do. Who? They sure do. Mr. Bo Horvat. Yeah. And I mean, that's he, a subplot. Here. He would be just an incredibly easy, smooth fit in in that uh, Oh, yeah. In that line. Well, and, right? and, and uniquely well suited to being a um, cadre replacement in some ways because. Both guys are lefties who specialize in the bumper, mm-hmm. right? Like he literally can just take Kadri's minutes five on f- uh, four, and you know uh, uh, is probably every bit as good. To be totally like th- that's not a that's not a slam on Kadri either. They're both probably two of the top five guys at doing that specific thing in the entire league, and of that top five, they're the only two lefties, right? Like the other guys are like Bergeron, Pavelski, mm. you know. I mean, if you want to put Austin Matthews, but I just don't really consider him a true bumper guy. So, for the most part, though, most of the other guys who are really good, excellent at it, happen to be right-handed. You know, there's uh, there's a lot to like about that fit, and I, I do think that's a meaningful subplot here uh, today. One one to follow. Like these teams could end up making a deal of some kind at some point this season. Certainly, Colorado is head of the pack among teams expected to be in the market for centermen, and uh, of those teams. You know, it feels like the one that the Canucks would have the easiest time swallowing a deal with, right? Like, Horvat in Boston. Well, we heard Boston brought up by Frank Saravelli, right? Horvat in Edmonton. Like, I struggle to see how that meeting goes if Canucks hockey operations were to present that to ownership. The best offers we got were from Boston and Edmonton. It's like, go find another offer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not saying that would for sure happen, but it... It it's not what you want. It certainly could. Like, it did happen to the Canucks. It has happened to the Canucks before with Corey Schneider, right? Edmonton made the best Corey Schneider offer, and that wasn't something ownership was prepared to see happen. 
Like, that did happen. That did unfold uh, in, in recent Canucks history. So, Horvat in Edmonton with McDavid? I don't know. I don't know if Canucks ownership could swallow that. Yeah, I don't. That would be tough. I mean, to say nothing of the fan uh, reaction, which is not why you make the decision, but I'm just thinking about. I you, saw. I saw the reaction to the the Bruins suggestion by. Uh, yeah. And first of all, who cares? Who I, cares? I'd rather if I was a fan, I'd rather see him in Boston because at least he's out of the conference. Oh, I don't care at all. And I'm not even a big. Oh, you can't make a trade within the division. Like if they're giving you the best package. You swallow it and you take it. He but could sign there anyway. Like he could, you could trade yeah. him wherever you want, and he could still be signed with that team. Uh, you know, like it's not like you get to control. No, he, I, he I, becomes a free agent. Take the best offer. the The in division trading reluctance thing has never made sense to me. You take the best offer. Who cares? Who cares? Take the best offer. Six fifty, six fifty. Keep your texts coming in. So, look, we're talking about the the underlying thread of a potential. Bo Horvat trade partner in the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, very, you know, a, a good transition from you, Drance, because you also published at The Athletic today uh, one of your uh, your regular exercises, the Canucks trade value tiers, ranking the Canucks by the trade value they would have around the NHL right now. And we can touch a little bit more on... Um, we can touch a little bit more on Bo Horvat, and we'll go through some of the individual players. But I'll let you just kind of set up the the context and the way you do you the way you put it together, why you put it together, and how the exercise works a little yeah. bit for the listeners. So I do this every year at roughly this time, uh, the holiday season, and I was stunned when I read back and I was reading about like my lead last year was like why this is so important as an exercise to go through as the Canucks are very publicly seeking to replace their head coach and the season spirals out of control. And, and I was just like, Oh my God, it's copy paste. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> control C control V on that one. Incredible. Right so every, every year around black Friday, because it's a shopping time of year, I like to go through this exercise and, you know, rank Vancouver skaters based on their trade value. And and the way that I do it is to look at and account for age, contract mm-hmm. status, um, you know, trade list, right? Like in, in a world where the Canucks truly were to decide to move X player, where should our expectations of the biggest return be and, and sort remotely? Now, it's not a perfect exercise. I run into some things where it's like right now in season, right? Luke Shen would have higher, more trade value than Connor Garland, right? Yeah. But come the offseason, that'll flip. So there there are some things where it's a little bit imperfect, right? It, it is context-dependent. Uh, and yet, you know, that's sort of how I go through the exercise. I talk to a lot of executives. I talk to pro scouts. It's one of one of the big set pieces that I do every year. Set pieces. Yes. And, <laughs> nice tie-in. Uh, and, uh, and so – Published today at The Athletic Vancouver. Go check it out. And, of course, we've got a Black Friday sale on at The Athletic. Don't miss your best sale price of the year. Join the VIPs. Uh, but that piece is up there, and uh, and I highly recommend going to check it out. I think probably the, the highlight, the like big line item, JT Miller, number 19 out of 26 players ranked. Um, let's talk about this on the other side. Yeah, because we'll talk about it Because there's actually an interesting, like, Spencer Martin ranks 8th. I'm sure that would surprise some people. But when you see that... Kachekov deal Mm -hmm. in Carolina, which I want to talk about, right? The logic of why Martin would be such a desirable asset. Like the the, the cheap labor factor is overwhelmingly important these days in shaping trade value and actually is far more important than overall player quality and far more important than name recognition. And that's sort of a, a, a weird moment that we've reached, partly as a result of the hard cap, but really accentuated by the flat cap. 
Uh, and that's sort of partly why I like to go through this exercise. Like, you know, you might think Mikheyev's a better player than Vasily Podkolzin right now. You might think Andre Kuzmenko's a better player than Vasily Podkolzin right now. You might be right. But Podkolzin has the most trade value of that group. And the point of this list is to really explain and get into the nitty gritty of exactly why. I think the other thing that the list did for me is a kind of because we've talked a lot about the need for a rebuild. And then we've kind of done in isolation. Could you trade this guy? Could you trade this guy? But it really helps clarify like what an actual change of direction would look like in terms of between now and the trade deadline, who would be realistically staying, who would be realistically going in that scenario. So we'll talk about that. Uh, go through the list. Take your text as well. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne with a head of steam, by yes, the way. Yes, terrifying. Looks like he's entering the blue line, crossing the blue line on against Canucks defenders. <laughs> it's uh, truly, it's yeah. truly terrifying. Uh, Feels that, like just so, a matter of time unless they, uh, unless they stop him from getting that type of head of steam here. Reg texts in, soccer updates. I'm driving for work. I can't watch. I need to know what's going on. It is nil-nil. Uh, 25 minutes elapsed now between Belgium and Canada. Canada was all over yes. them for about 15 minutes, Canada, and now it's now like getting Belgium, white knuckly. Belgium has, has taken over a little bit here, showing their quality, as what? they say. What quality? What quality? What st quality? Still nil-nil. Oh, Belgium. Uh, We'll have more Canucks talk and more spirited soccer spirited updates. showing from the Canadian side. As another through ball just misses connecting with the, uh, a Belgian player in Canada's box. Uh, more it's, updates. It's Timothy Castain, just okay. so you know. Thank you. Yep, more welcome. Canucks talk. Uh, all that coming up. It is <laughs> your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here, live from the Kintec Footwear Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're talking Canucks. We're talking trade value rankings. We're also getting you uh, your Canada soccer <laughs> updates. We're also really struggling to stay focused. Woo! This is a heck of a match. <laughs> this is a heck of a match so far. Chances what? at both sides. Oh, oh. Yes. Uh, we said just before the break that after the first 15 minutes, Belgium had really asserted control. But in the la since we went to break, Canada's had oh. another flurry of chances. They are getting into the box consistently with possession. Uh, already have forced Thibaut Courtois to make a couple of really good saves. Uh, minor Matt and Abbotsford is trying to put the text, or the hex, I should say, on, uh, on Thibaut Courtois. Texting in Tebow, <laughs> Tebow into our inbox. So we'll see if that works. But uh, this is hey, just uh, a, a, I, an incredible sight, really, so far. Hopefully, Dreser. hopefully the Canucks are shooting on the Chicago Blackhawks version of Tebow and not the uh, and not the Montreal Canadiens version of, of Tebow. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, all right. So we'll as as we said off the top of the show, we'll continue to get you your updates. Uh, this is your. This is your spoiler warning. So if you were hoping to remain unspoiled about the state of the Canada-Belgium matchup, we are going to be updating it as necessary here. Sounds like, based on Patrick Johnston of the Vancouver Province's tweets here, oh, that uh, Thatcher Demko stayed out late to rinse Rathbone, Stillman, Podkolzin, and Tanner Pearson, who's still traveling with the team. All right. Which would Im imply, of course, that Kyle Burrows draws into the lineup as he should. He's back. As he should, and Spencer Martin getting the tough start against Ag the Colorado Avalanche. Against the team? Did they draft him, the Colorado Avalanche? No. I Well, maybe. Yeah, probably they did. I think they did. He definitely he definitely played for them for three games in 2016-17, and I, I was talking to him earlier this year. 
So he plays three games for this Avs team. Yeah, it's like drafted by bad. Colorado in 2013. And they're historically bad, right? Yep. And so he plays three games, all of them losses. He plays fine. Like, it's not like on him. But that team was almost Ted Nolan Sabres. Like, the intentionally bad. It's not on Ted Nolan because Ted Nolan also coached some good Sabres right. teams. But there was a couple of teams that uh, Tim Murray put together for the purpose of being bad. Ted Nolan coached them. That's still the worst team, but this Avs team, Bednar's first or second season, was pretty, pretty close. Anyway, Martin then takes five more years to get back to the league. Comes to the Canucks, and he plays really well against Florida, you remember? But shootout Mm -hmm. loss. Mm -hmm. And then he plays really well against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Overtime loss. (laughs) You know, just like, guy can't catch a break. And so now, he's made five NHL starts, played well, and never won a game. And it was then that they went into Winnipeg. He had like a 40 save performance. He was the fantastic. Jets, Jets were all over them. And uh, and it was funny talking to him earlier this year and getting a sense of how much that meant to him, right? That he'd like been that long without winning a game. Martin gets the shot tonight. Interesting, right? Lots of days off, two days off before you play a back-to-back. So Martin's going to get three of the four, or sorry, two of the three on this road trip mm-hmm. after Demko, you know, played in a way that didn't cer- certainly didn't inspire confidence in the fan base in the third period against Vegas. Seemed like Demko was sort of getting on track. Now he's not starting tonight. There's something to be seen here. There's something to be... I'm not I'm not banging the old goalie controversy drum. I'm not doing that Vancouver media thing because the soccer game's on and I'm have, having trouble <laughs> focusing. I'm going to do... I'm going to play it's, the hits. This, this I'm going to play the hits. No, this does feel like a get your wildest takeoff show. It's like nobody's listening. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, on the internet, it's like the joke is like mods are asleep. Post whatever you can without the mods noticing. It's right. like nobody's listening. Say whatever you want because nobody's going to pay attention <laughs> the, to this one. Uh, this is our substitute listeners. <laughs> yeah. We can like misbehave. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but seriously, I do read a lot into Thatcher Demko not starting today and you know I wonder if he would have started Friday against LA to be totally honest with you were it not for put it this way there is a lot of cooks in the kitchen on a goaltending decision making Mm. standpoint in this organization right now Jim Rutherford was a former goalie right we've we've seen you know the organizations that he works for be extremely loyal to guys who won the, won him games and, and cups in Cam Ward. Probably too loyal for too long, but also the the opposite with you know Tristan Jari, Matt Murray, and Mark Andre Fleury. You think about how that situation unfolded, right? Rutherford's teams can be extremely loyal to goaltenders or extremely flighty with them based on you know what what have you done for me lately. Bruce Boudreaux similarly has guys he trusts. We we see this with Niels Hoaglander, right? We see this with certain guys who have different amounts of rope than mm-hmm. certain other guys. Like Stillman clearly is a guy he trusts. Kyle Burroughs probably isn't a guy he trusts. So it's like Kyle Burroughs has to make two mistakes for every mistake Stillman makes, you know? And and, and on and on. Ethan Bear, clearly a guy he trusts. Mm-hmm. Has has the latitude. To Jack Rathbone, not. Not, Exactly. Ian Clark, meanwhile, Thatcher Demko's his star pupil. Now, Ian Clark didn't draft and may not have drafted Thatcher Demko if he was as deeply connected to Canucks drafting as he is today. But Demko is such a focused, hardworking person that he came in and over over time actually won Clark over, right? Got Clark to buy into him. And now... 
obviously there's a symbiotic relationship. I wonder about the dynamic internally here now. Like, is Demko still a guy Boudreaux trusts or is it Spencer Martin? How many times has Boudreaux been thinking, I'm going to go Martin only for Ian Clark to say, hey, we got to get this guy going or it doesn't matter. We're hooped anyway. I bet you that's already happening behind the scenes. I bet you it is. Now I'm now I'm unveiling my wildest take. <laughs> I would bet you that that is already happening. And I think this is sort of the sign of it. Not to say that Boudreaux doesn't trust Demko, just that, you know, every time I play Martin, we get a point. That matters to a coach, particularly one on the last year of his deal, coaching for his life, game in, game out. I think it's really interesting that Martin's going today. It feels like the we're going to see if Demko continues to perform like he has and Martin continues to perform like he has. At some point, it's going to be you know, two consecutive Spencer Martin starts, right? Where it would normally be, okay, you got Martin in, he played well, but then you automatically get back to Demko. That, that's where it feels like it's going. And then I think it becomes a much more lively conversation, right? About not so much a goalie controversy as if Spencer Martin is the future of the Canucks or anything like that, but it becomes more a conversation of, at that point, how do the Canucks view Thatcher Demko? How does Bruce Boudreaux view Thatcher Demko? Once we kind of cross that point is where I'll start really digging in. Um, it's interesting perspective about Ian Clark, though, and I did want to, again, get back to the, uh, the, the trade value tier piece that you have up at the athletic because in the top tier and I think there's first of all an interesting discussion because you have it labeled the bona fide core pieces tier whereas previously as you mentioned in the piece it's been the untouchable tier and it's Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes and number 3 Thatcher Demko coming up in that in that list. I just don't believe that an organization on working on its third consecutive playoff miss and its seventh playoff miss in the last 8 years uh, can afford to have untouchables. Like, I just don't think this organization can afford it. If it costs you one of your absolute best players to get off of one of the extraordinarily unwise contractual commitments that this organization is locked into for guys 29 and older, I think you have to consider it. Like, you know, the JT Miller deal doesn't expire till 2030. You're worried about his defense today? You're worried about it, whether or not he's a center today. You're worried if he's fully bought in this season today. Deal hasn't even started. Yeah, Oliver Ekman Larson doesn't expire till 2027. Look at look at how he's played this 20 games versus how he played last year. And then just extrapolate in your mind, not not on a, in a straight line because athletic performance doesn't work like that, but. Is it likely that we've already seen the best of Ekman Larson in a Canucks uniform? Yes, overwhelmingly likely. And that says nothing about him, personally. It's just time. Undefeated. At some point, this team's going to need to navigate around those deals, right? And do you have to be willing? Do you at least, like, I'm not suggesting you should trade Quinn Hughes to get off of the Ekman Larson commitment. Right. But you need that weapon that weapon can't be off limits. It's not like, oh, <laughs> you can't like put an electric shock collar. If you touch that weapon, it, well, it, yeah, it can't be. You need to, your, your full arsenal must be available to you as you seek to creatively destroy this team over the course of a couple of seasons. And the thing is, when you're putting somebody in an untouchable tier, 
it's not as if, okay, there's untouchables, and then everyone else is, we're having a fire sale, we have no, to trade no, them. No, no, no. That's not how it works. No. You know what I mean? There's still guys who are not high on the list that you might keep around because they're useful for whatever reason, right? Like, it, it's not a binary hold on to them for dear life or trade them as soon no. as possible uh, but we situation. Need to, we, need to open, we need to open up, like, you mentioned trading Hughes or Pedersen. I'm sure the inbox, if anyone's even listening, um, <laughs> you know, is filled with people being like, you're wild. Like, that's that's nuts. But, well, we, you brought it up on the show before, and that was the reaction. Yeah, but, it, I mean, no, it really isn't. You need to be open to everything when you're, like... The future outlook for this team, like the current outlook is bleak, but the future outlook is catastrophic, right? I mean, I say this a lot because it's true and I really want people to process it. This is the best team that we will ever see in Hughes and Pedersen's mutual prime. And they're, what, 6, 10, and 3? 25th in the NHL by point percentage? No, lower than that. Okay. I believe. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> 28th in the league okay. by points percentage. I mean, right now. but they'll they'll finish closer to 25th. They'll probably finish 22nd. Although actually I think Buffalo hopped over them. Ooh, Buffalo. But they're they're so they're 29th in the NHL in points percentage right now. And this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets while Hughes and Pedersen are at the peak of their powers because Horvat's coming up. Like, do you know how hard it is? This team's probably going to spend years trying to replace Bo Horvat. You know, it's it's really like look at the Avs. You don't lose players like Bo Horvat and get better. And then the next year, Pedersen becomes more expensive. Like this is baked in logic for a team with a nothing coming in terms of their prospect system and no cap flexibility to quickly arrest, um, you know, a fall. Like it's not just that this team isn't good now; it's that they're actually on a downward trajectory that hasn't even started. A catastrophic outlook. In that world, in that context, how can you not consider everything? You have to consider everything. Absolutely must. That's it. Um, I want to talk about Ooh. as Belgium has opened the scoring in Qatar at the World Cup against Canada. Is uh, Batshuayi? I can't. I can't say <laughs> that name. Batshuayi. Thank you. Uh, takes the long through ball. The Batman. Uh, yes, the Batman. Painful. One nil for Belgium Man. just before uh, a couple of minutes before the first Canada minutes Canada really deserved better than this out of yeah, this half. Canada was uh, a really impressive showing uh going toe to toe but uh yeah it's just the one ball really from the from the back line for Belgium uh that gets through and as you said the Batman puts it past the keeper so it is 1-0 now for Belgium still a few minutes uh, and we'll see some stoppage time a lot of stoppage time as as has been the case at this World Cup uh before the half but there is your soccer player or soccer player your uh, your so- <laughs> Canada soccer update uh from the World Cup so all pain. right we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on that yeah ma- major pain after the uh, after the Alfonso Davies penalty miss uh, and some other chances for the uh, for Canada, uh, they're down one nil at the World Cup now. More more on that as it unfolds. Uh, but back to back to the Canucks, back to the trade value tiers, and and Thatcher Demko because Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. I think we all understand. Okay, maybe you don't want to use the word untouchable. That's fine, but they're the guys that you can <sighs> still look at and say huge value worth building around right worth keeping around like the the kind of cliched question is when you're when you're contemplating a rebuild is are can these guys be part of the next great Canucks team and I think clearly even though Elias Pettersson is due to get more expensive clearly the answer on both of those guys is yes they can 
Demko is a really interesting one because of the, I think, how the NHL market has evolved and changed for goalies, right? And what, and if he does kind of bounce back and play like Thatcher Demko for the remainder of his contract, what his next deal after that is likely to look like or what it could end up looking like versus how valuable he is right now. He's under contract for three more years after this one. Are the Canucks going to be Stanley Cup contenders in that time? Are they going to get the benefit of the Thatcher Demko really efficient contract? Or are they going to be looking for a new goalie anyways at that time? Or, you know, faced with the possibility of possibly paying uh, a 29 or 30-year-old Thatcher Demko a lot of money on his next deal? When you think about how goalie salaries have increased since he signed his deal, if, if teams are still sold on Thatcher Demko as a top-flight goalie, I know the goalie market is weird. It's always weird. You never necessarily get the big returns that you want when you're trading even a, even a star goalie. But you start to understand a little bit of the logic, at least why, unlike, you know, why you might be willing to go down that road with Thatcher Demko, even in a way you wouldn't necessarily with Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson. Yeah, the the key with Demko, too, to keep in mind here is, you know, the contract is what creates the value from a Demco perspective, right? The it's the overall fact. <laughs> oh, brutal! This team been a little bit profligate. They've done everything. Done everything but score. I know they've been a little bit wasteful. That one. Oof! Oh. That one hurts. Was it the Belgian player who kicked it, was- it out though? Oh no! No, it wasn't. wasn't. It was painful. That one. Buchanan skying it on the low cross in uh, in um, Chinese soccer parlance. When uh, when a player skies a ball extremely high above the net, they call it a stir fry airplane. That was a stir fry airplane. Stir fry airplane, and and it's something that I would like to bring to hockey, but no one wants to participate. Also, the Italians have a great phrase for when a coach is like recycled over and over. Mm-hmm. And like I, I can't say the phrase in Italian. Maybe Riccio knows it, um, but the translation directly is uh, is uh, cold soup left out overnight that makes nobody happy. <laughs> just the perfect- That's like our version of a retread, right? We always say, "Oh, it's a retread." Yeah, but when the NFL hires but whoever, it's far, for the, yeah. but it's far more, far artful. more cutting. Yeah, far more cutting. When uh, when Pete DeBoer gets his eighth opportunity, right? <laughs> hey man, it's working out. He's making no, somebody he's, happy in Dallas right now. DeBoer's a great coach. There's a reason for it, but so yeah, I mean, but still, he's like the perfect example. How many teams does he work for now? Florida, New Jersey, San Jose, yeah, Vegas. Vegas. I mean, we're going on. You know, he could get to eight or nine. Anyway, Demko's contract is what creates the value here. Demko currently is tied with seven other netminders for the 14th highest cap hit in the league among goaltenders, which means he is paid literally like an average starter. Average. Demko is better than that. I know he hasn't played great to this point in the season, but he is a lot better than that. And for a lot of teams, he would be viewed as a finishing piece, a perfect finishing piece with a ton of cost certainty baked in, who's at the right age as well. Um, You know, Demko's contract ensures that he's somewhat buttressed, isolated, protected from the usual unpredictability or volatility of the goaltender trade market. Um, There's a real sense that, 
you know, if he were ever made available, he'd still net a first and a prospect, like mm. the sort of premium package you'd expect from a skater, which is why he ranks so high here. And what's sort of interesting is Demko's own contract itself sort of creates that value. Like Demko's contract was so reckless when it was first signed by Jim Benning and worked out so well. Like it was such a good Reckless bet, right? It was both it was things. A, it, it, had a, it, it had a lot of downside and it had a lot of upside. He it was had, a big bet. He had not faced 2,000 shots in the NHL at the time that he signed, and he was a 9-11 career goaltender, right? So everyone comparable had better career numbers. Everyone comparable had a larger body of work. And now, all of a sudden, if you're a guy with any pedigree at all, with, you know, even if your track record is extremely slim... Look at Jake Ottinger, look at Spencer Knight. You know, four million plus goaltenders times three on their second contracts. There is an inflationary pressure that Demko's own deal. It's like it's like the Canucks let Demko in the door, it worked out, and then they slammed the door behind them, and now no one can get through. And that alone adds to the value of Demko's deal. It's not just that Demko's on this affordable deal, it's also that there's no way you can't get it again. to replace it. Yeah. Like there's no way to find that for yourself. To the point where today, the Carolina Hurricanes took a goalie who played how many games? Did, will you look oh, it up for me? Sorry, man. Katechkov, Katechkov. Oh my gosh, he's got to have played like twenty-five games, and he signed a four-year, eight-million-dollar contract today. Yeah, incredible. So, and and what's that in reaction to? That's in reaction to two forces. That's in reaction to the fact that the median backup goaltender now makes two million dollars. So all they need out of this guy is for him to be as good as Anti Ranta. <laughs> to be as good as Eric Comrie. Mm -hmm. And it's at least a market value deal. So there's no downside, really. Is he playable 20 times a year? He's worth $2 million. How many games has he played in his Hold career? on. I'm still looking it up. My my my, uh, my internet is letting me down. I'm being slow here. By the way, while I look it up, um, nil, or sorry, not nil-nil, one-nil for Belgium uh, at the half. They've just completed uh, the half uh, in the Canada-Belgium game. So there you go, Canada down 1-0. But credit to them, even after uh, even after um, they conceded, they, they were pushing forward and they had some chances. So uh, no fight, or, or no, no quit, lots of fight for Canada uh, in that game against Belgium. Still having trouble pulling up that uh, those stats. Have you got a, a beat on them here? No, uh, that's, that's okay. Right. We'll, we'll the point it. is, the point yeah. is, is that that deal is in reaction to the very market forces that keep Demko's trade value higher than you'd think for your average goaltender. A He's played seven NHL games. There you go. Seven and twenty in the AHL. He's played seven, seven NHL games. And it, so there you go. This is the sort of dramatic action that teams are taking because of. What's overheating in terms of the goaltender market? This is why Thatcher Demko's return would look more like an elite skater than it would like a goaltender. And this is also why the efficiency of his deal means that no one cares that he's struggled for the last month. It would have zero impact on his trade value. People have seen what Thatcher Demko can do. They know what Thatcher Demko can do. Teams are willing to bet on guys like Kotech Kachekov, who's played mm -hmm. seven NHL games. They're willing to bet on guys like Matt Murray. Um, Demko... Are you kidding me? Demko at five million? Well, that's the thing is, I, I, teams are betting on Georgiev for three. From People a, are betting on Freddie Anderson for six. Like Demko for three, five. Teams would line up to make that. Bet. From a contender's perspective, because there has been this shift where it's like, okay, we don't want to pay big money to goalies. You know, even we obviously don't want to do the Bobrovsky deal again or anything like that. We don't want to do even the you know the Jack Campbell and the uh, the, the Darcy Kemper the deals. deal. What a disaster! Yeah. 
But the flip side is then sometimes you get caught in this position where you're constantly scrambling to find your goalie, right? And you're the Maple Leafs, and you're like, oh, man, we have to get Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov and hope that it works out. And they're good enough in the regular season that they can sustain, you know, poor goaltending and they can still have success. But that's not what you want when the playoffs roll around. Demko, if I was a contender, I think would be kind of an interesting middle option where you're not breaking the bank to pay a goalie, but you're not constantly churning through the bargain bin and hoping one of these guys can actually hold up for you uh, once the playoffs roll around. Now, the acquisition cost might be a lot more than you'd like to sink into the goalie position. But basically, after this year, it's three years uh, five million per season. Like that is incredibly, incredibly affordable uh, for a goalie right now. This person texted in. Spoiler alert would be nice. I've given a bunch of spoiler alerts on the Canada Soccer thing uh, throughout the course of the show. But yeah, here's another one. We are going to be giving uh, updates and announcements about Canada Soccer. So there you go. That's what's happening. It's the biggest sporting event in the world. We are going to mention it uh, as necessary. Brendan Bachelor, the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we will get his thoughts on uh, on what he saw from Canada. Canada in the first half there, but also look ahead to tonight's game against the Colorado Avalanche. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. It is a, a truly bizarre show here today. We're, we're talking Canucks. At least it's halftime. We're going to have one yeah. normal segment. It's, well, we'll see. It's it's Jamie Todd. It's Thomas Tretz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear. And Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Brendan Bachelor has graciously agreed to join us. We'll get him on the line momentarily. But I'll, again, just for people just joining us, lay out what's happening here. Obviously, we're talking Canucks. It's a game day. They're playing the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, but we're also giving you your updates as it happens from Canada, Belgium, where at halftime, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, at halftime, it is one nil uh, in favor of Belgium, but Canada, very, very impressive in a lot of respects in that first half, uh, their first World Cup game in 36 years. All right, now joining us, he's the voice uh, of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sports 650, also a big footy fan. So, Batch, I mean, first of all, I got to say, our, our producer Lena said she was going to ask you to come on with us, and I was not expecting a yes. I was expecting a no, I'm going to be watching the match. So thank you. Thank you for fitting us in, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, Lena gave me my choice of time to come on. There you go. So 12 o'clock halftime, we're good. All right. Well, I appreciate it. What did you make of uh, the first half? I was really impressed with Canada. Uh, I didn't think they would be that aggressive and come out that much on the front foot against Belgium. Uh, what I think we're going to be talking about coming out of this one is missed opportunities for them, and particularly the, the Davies penalty miss looms large when you start that strong against a, a veteran experienced club like Belgium you need to score early and obviously the goal against just before halftime really hurts them so in the second half it'll be interesting to see I think they probably bring on Kyle Laren at some point you know they have to open up a little bit more to try and get an equalizer and it'll be whether they can do that or whether Belgium is able to hit on the counter and extend their lead yeah I mean the Canada spilt so well to counter Right, if they get an early lead, like that Davies goal could have changed this entire game, considering the way that their speed is played against that backline. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a it's an aging back line with Bertongan and Alderweireld back there as well. Those guys have been around for a long time, and uh, they're, they're not as quick and able as maybe they were, even though they are still world-class players. So, you know, that and I worry about the Canadian back line. Like, I, I was worried about the Canadian back line coming into this tournament. It's why I was a little bit more conservative than many people in terms of, of Canada's chances when you're going up against a couple of world-class midfielders in the first couple of matches in De Bruyne and then Modric when they play Croatia. Mm. Um, so, you know, an early goal in the second half would be crucial for this Canadian team to kind of hang in there. But the longer it stays 1-0, the more they have to open up and the greater opportunity Belgium has to, to hit them back on the counter again. On the, on the plus side, though, Batch, really impressive Corsi. Yeah, well, I, I, somebody just sent me the XG number. Yes. And they were like 2.4 through the first half. So, Outrageous. Um, At 2.4, and that's just off of the penalties they should have been awarded. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, at the very least, I think this Canadian team is going to be a lot of fun to watch at this tournament, a lot more fun than I thought they might be. Um, but whether it leads them to be successful, I guess, remains to be seen. It helps, too, that Croatia drew, right? I mean, they can they can sustain a loss now, especially considering the quality of this opponent, and still sort of have some of their fate in their own hands. Yeah, although it puts that much more pressure on them for the Croatia mm. match coming up. Um, they haven't lost yet, just, though. They haven't lost yet. No, they haven't lost yet. And there's, I mean, if a draw for them in this would oh, be, you know, mammoth better, result. better than a win in many ways, just because of. You know, obviously you'd like to win, but in terms of expectations going into this match, if you can draw Belgium after Croatia and Morocco have already drawn, then the group is wide open and, and there's huge opportunity there. Uh, speaking to Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, and we will turn our attention to the Vancouver Canucks who play the Col- have to? Yeah, I know, right? First Are, half first half like, substitutions, by the way. Could, could Carrasco you? and Tilemon Tiel- yeah. out for Onana. And Mounier. Mounier, yeah, Mounier. Uh, anyways. Is he um, still with PSG, Batch? Pardon? Is Mounier still with PSG? Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. You're oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> we'll get the update You're the footy fan. By the way, we're having an absolutely... I'm just making it up. <laughs> we're having an absolutely ridiculous show, as you can probably tell uh, from our brief conversation here already, Batch. But, I mean, yeah, we, we should probably talk Canucks, even though watching this um, Canada team for 45 minutes has been... Uh, you know, more joyful and entertaining than pretty much anything we've seen from the Canucks so far this season. They're taking on the Colorado Avalanche tonight, Batch. I mean, just looking at this three-game road trip, we saw the loss on uh, on Monday against the Vegas Golden Knights. Now it's Colorado, Vegas, and then back-to-back in San Jose. I, like, it feels at this point where we shouldn't say, you know, oh, hey, we're really going to learn a lot about this team based on how they perform on this road trip because we've learned so much about this team already. But what are you expecting or, or maybe even hoping to see from the team on this three-game set? Yeah, well, first of all, Munier is at Borussia Dortmund, Grant. So there you go. Got you there. Um, he, he was at Dortmund, then he went to PSG. It sounds like he goes back. A lot, lot of yo-yo players for Borussia Dortmund. Yes, exactly. Um, but getting back to Jamie's oh, question. Oh, oh and, Canucks, and Canucks tie-in. Canucks tie-in yeah. for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, favorite team of Christian Erhoff. Ah, there you go. Yes. Great stuff. Good. Yeah, you're welcome. Very good. Um, when it comes to this road trip, <laughs> I agree, guys. <laughs> and I've heard Drance talk about this on the show earlier in the week. Like, I agree. We know what this team is at this point. They're, they're not going to really change anyone's minds 
at this point in the season, especially with, you know, another blown lead the other night against Vegas. So, you know, when, when you look at this trip and what to expect from them, I think we've seen that they can have good stretches in games. You know, it was a, a, an incredibly entertaining game against Vegas the other night, even though, you know, the, the storylines coming out of it were another multi-goal lead blown. And really, it's it's always going to continue to be about the defense and about the goaltending. And, you know, Demko had the, the start against L.A. that made it look like he was going to turn things, you know, potentially in the right direction and takes a step back in the third period against Vegas. I think you could say the team did collectively as well, especially with the way they defended. And when you're heading out on the road, um, you know, against the avalanche and, and, you know, they're a bit banged up right now, but it's still McKinnon and McCarr and a, a lot of their big names that can make you pay and have made many teams pay over the last few years. You know, you're, you're going to have to win some of those battles that Luke Shen talked about that this group has not been very good at, at winning in their own end. I think they get a little bit of a break later in the trip. You go into Vegas, and Vegas plays on Friday, so you're catching them on the second half of a back-to-back, and it's a team that you just had some offensive success against. So, you know, I think there's a chance that that maybe they could do well in Vegas on Saturday, and then second half of a back-to-back on the road against any team in the league is going to be tough on Sunday. And, you know, San Jose is a club that uh, has maybe performed a little bit better than some people thought they might might to start the year because of, of some of the great play of Eric Carlson in large part. But, um, you know, I, in the end, I agree that I don't think anything they do on this trip is going to change my mind about them unless they go three and zero and win every game five, nothing. And I don't think anybody's expecting that. Do you make anything? It sounds like from who was working late that Kyle Burroughs is going to draw back in. This is per Patrick Johnston's watchful eye. Sounds like, Kyle Burroughs is going to draw back in since Riley Stillman was getting rinsed following the morning skate. Mm It sounds like Thatcher Demko was out working late, meaning Spencer Martin is the implied starter or the projected starter tonight against the Avs. What do you make of those two decisions? Yeah, I'm not surprised by the the Martin start. um, Really? Just because, well, I mean, the way Demko played late in the game against Vegas and the fact that they have been more open to starting Martin in Mm. recent games. You know, this is a head coach that at this point is, is under a lot of pressure under a lot of focus in this market and is getting to the point now, I think where he's just making the decisions that he thinks are the best to win that individual game rather than looking at, you know, anything longer term. Uh, And, you know, as much as Demko was great for them last year, he hasn't done a whole lot to inspire confidence this season, whereas Martin has done in, in certain stretches. So, you know, you know that Martin's going to get one of the, the back-to-backs, which means that he's going to start two of the three games on this trip if we assume that he goes in tonight. And I think that's a decision by a head coach that just looks at things on the face of it where they are right now and says, one guy gives me a better chance to win at this moment, and we really need wins. So I'm, I'm going to do that. When it comes to Burroughs in for Stillman, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot. We've talked about it on the pregame show a couple of times over the last few games that if this was a complete meritocracy, Kyle Burroughs would have never come out of the lineup. Um, but Riley Stillman's a player they acquired recently. There's also the left shot, right shot dynamic that I think Boudreaux is, you know, a, a little bit hesitant to to have where he has to play a guy with the right shot on the left side, which is, which is what you do when you put Burroughs into the lineup. But 
I think Kyle Burroughs, you know, if you're looking just on merit, and again, this is more of a comment on the lack of quality the Canucks have on the back end rather than praise for Kyle Burroughs, but he's been one of their better defensemen this year. And, you know, if it was just based on who's playing well, I don't think he's done anything to deserve ever coming out of the lineup. So uh, for a guy that works really hard, local kid who brings a physical presence, I think is a really good glue guy for them. It's nice to see him get back in. Batch, how much pressure is on Demko now to perform well simply to make sure that he's going to get 60 games? Like, are we at the point where we could see something closer to a true split going forward if, if Martin continues to perform? Yeah, I, I guess it depends how long the Canucks remain around the periphery of the fight for for playoff relevance. And, you know, we could argue that that fight is already lost with the way they've started. But... I wouldn't argue that, just to be clear. And you yeah, know if I'm enough. not arguing that, that it's uh, premature. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, not many people are arguing it if you're not ready to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But when when it comes to like that, to me, will be a big part of that decision making process. Right. Like if if they're out of it, say, by January, then why do you need to start Thatcher Demko a ton down the stretch? Anyway, you might as well have a split in the second half of the season. Conversely, if they get back into the fight and at this point, either of the two goaltenders is a reason why they get back into the fight, then that could be a a part of that decision-making process too, where say Spencer Martin gets on a run and they start winning games again and, you know, playoff hopes start to start to increase again. Then the pressure will start to be put on Boudreaux to start Martin more often than Demko. Conversely, I think Demko will come out of this. I think he will find his game at some point. And when he does, they're going to have to ride him to make sure that they stay around the edges of that fight if indeed they are able to to get some results and and do that. So in the end, I don't think it'll end up being a true split. I still believe that Demko will get the majority of the starts, but it may not be, you know, the the sixty plus starts that we thought he might have if this team was you know, right in the hunt late and needing him to play every game because every point mattered so much. Um, it, it may be, you know, that Martin gets more like 20, 25 games uh, in the season instead. Yep. Canucks playoff odds still at about 27% per Dom decisions model. Just need to hit my quota of mentioning that model and I'll hand it over <laughs> to Jamie for the next question. Um, in conversation with Brendan Batchel here, Sportsnet 650. Um, Elias Patterson been one of the major bright spots, along with I would say uh, Bo Horvat and his goal scoring. We ha- he's producing, he's having an incredible impact at both ends of the ice, but we haven't really seen him matched up against the other team's best players on a regular basis. I know Bruce was asked about it uh, recently, and he said, you know, I don't really want to sacrifice too much of the offensive production uh, from Elias Patterson, but. Given their other options right now, is it time to at least start trying Patterson out in more of a matchup heavy minutes role for this team? I, I mean, with the way things have gone, I think it's time to be willing to try pretty much anything. And the way Pedersen has played, uh, absolutely he should and could be used in that role, but there need to be changes to his line before that happens. They're not going to trust Andre Kuzmenko in a matchup role at this point early in his career as he still figures out the NHL game. So if you want to use Pedersen in the matchup role, then you need to move, at the very least, Kuzmenko off that line. I think Mikheyev, obviously, with his 
PK ability and speed could be used in a matchup role if you wanted to do that. And, you know, I'm also open to trying the lotto line again at this point and just playing them in those top minutes head to head against the, the top players of opposing teams, because, you know, we saw how well they played together when they were a fixture a couple of seasons ago. And if you've got Miller back on the wing anyway, why not have those guys go together and, and really see if they can recapture some of that chemistry that they had under Travis Green. Um, but it seems like Boudreaux is really tied to Mikheyev, Pedersen, and Kuzmenko. They haven't really been separated very much, even when he's tweaked pretty well all of the other lines, maybe with the exception of keeping Joshua and Oman together on that fourth line. And it's been a, a rotating cast of characters playing with them in large part due to Lazar's injury. Um, but, you know, to me, there's no doubt, other than the face-off winning ability of Bo Horvat, which you know, was Boudreaux's sort of defense as to why he hasn't used Pedersen in that role is that Horvat right now is the only guy that wins a face-off consistently for this group. And they feel that that's very important in someone that's going to get those defensive zone starts and play that matchup role. But, you know, to me, other than that, Pedersen is clearly their best two-way centerman. And, you know, as he evolves in his career, he's going to become that guy for this group if for no other reason, then Bo Horvat may not be here long-term and he's going to be forced into that situation before long if Horvat isn't extended by the organization. Uh, another interesting note up front for tonight, it looks like Niels Hoaglander is going to get a shot on the top line with Bo Horvat and JT Miller. And I, I find the Hoaglander thing really fascinating because, look, it's one thing for a coach not to trust a young player, but the interesting thing is with, with Hoaglander, it's often – out of the lineup, and then into fairly premium positions, whether it's on the wing with Pedersen, on the top line, and then he's all around the lineup, right? It, it's not just between the fourth line and the press box. It's basically uh, between every possible spot for Niels Hoaglander, including the top line. What do you make of how Boudreaux has used Hoaglander, and what do you think the expectations are for Hoaglander in the spot he's in uh, tonight? Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely surprised by it just because if there's one thing that is solidified with this Canucks roster, it is basically that fourth line, or at least two-thirds of that fourth line anyway. And Hoaglander is a player that you hope for offense out of. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to stick him in the lineup if you're going to put him down the lineup and not play him with other offensive players and then expect him to produce, right? And, you know, he hasn't produced very much this year, which is part of the reason why he has been a scratch at times. But, you know, for, for the player he can be, and the offensive potential he does bring, he's a guy that when you're going to put him in, you've got to put him in with players that, that can help, you know, foster some of that, that potential. And even when he's been playing on the third line recently, you know, Besser has been down on that line. So it's not like he's, he's being put in a situation where he's not with any other skilled players. Um, but for Homelander to maintain a spot in the lineup on a nightly basis and to maintain a top six role as he's likely going to be afforded tonight, bottom line production has to come. And this is something that Boudreaux has talked about. This is something that, you know, we've, we've seen as a criticism for Hoaglander over the past couple of years, you know, alongside his defensive game and how he still has room to grow there. We've seen at different times this year that, you know, he gets lost in coverage or doesn't understand where he needs to be and it results in good chances or, or goals against when the Canucks are defending, which, you know, and, and I bring up this name all the time and it's not to be used as a comparison, 
But this was kind of my one talking point and my drum that I would beat over and over and over again when discussing Nikolai Goldobin when he was with this group, which was if you can't be a good two-way player and you can't defend to the level that the coach would like, then you better score because if you don't produce offense, then you're going to come out of the lineup. And it's a conversation that we had with Goldobin, but you can apply it to all sorts of young players, whether it be, you know, Niels Hoaglander in this situation. I think, you know, Vasily Podkolzin probably deserves to be in that conversation a little bit, although he's, for my money, better in terms of his two-way game than Hoaglander is. But, you know, it makes sense for me to give Hoaglander the chances to produce offense, but if he doesn't produce offense, then the questions with his defensive game are going to mean that he's going to come out of the lineup until he can become a consistent scorer or until he can round out his game better so that he's you know less of a liability in his own end. Batch, really appreciate it, man, uh, especially with the game going on. We'll let you get back. Go Canada. Hope we see the equalizer hey, go, here soon. Go, go have a pint, bud. Sounds good. Thank you all. Game day, so I can't have one of those. <laughs> uh, right. Kyle Lahren just onto the pitch uh, yep. for Junior Hoylet, so we'll see if he's able to make a difference here. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Batch. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. That is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks. Yeah, quick update here. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreau in a moment. We're in the 60th minute, still 1-0 Belgium. Uh, as Batch said, Kyle Lahren has come on for Canada in place of Junior Halat. Also, Ishmael Kone, I believe, has come on, uh, replacing Atiba Hutchinson. No surprise. Hutchinson, I believe, the oldest player the oldest outfield player to ever start a World Cup game, so not a surprise that he's coming off uh, at the 60-minute mark. But Canada's still pressing, still looking uh, for that equalizer with Belgium. We'll keep your updates coming up. Uh, they have a set piece here uh, in the final third against Belgium. It looks like Eustachio is standing over it, ready to take it. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll I'll just rag the puck here for a second while we get ready to play Bruce it's, it's, It is too bad that Canada didn't score while we had Batch, so we could have had It would have like, been great. Uh, it would have been so great. It would have been so funny. Batch tweeted about the uh, first half before he came on with us, and he said the second half is going to be nervy, which is another one of those great soccer terms that only gets used in soccer. Uh, no result for Canada off that set piece, so let's go to Bruce Boudreau, head coach of the Canucks, as his team gets ready to play the defending Stanley Cup champions. Personnel, I mean, Eichel, McKinnon, you know, two very good players. Uh, um, they got, uh, they got uh, uh, Gerard's playing tonight, so their defenses might be a little quicker. Their defense might be a little more up the ice than, than Vegas is, but uh, their speed is is great through the lineup. I mean, they're, they're strong. They're, they're a really good team. That's why they won the Cup. Sure. McCarr just became the fastest defenseman to ever get to 200 points. Uh, what sort of stands out about his offensive game to you? Well, he can he jumps in at any moment, and I mean he's uh, he sees the ice so well. Not even not necessarily even making passes, but to where to jump in. If he was a wide receiver, he would really know where to go through in his routes and and things. But uh, uh, you know they're great players, and uh, uh, it's you know. You know, we obviously know that, and, you know, you focus a little bit on that, and you hopefully uh, the rest of the guys can, um, if we can stop them, we can take advantage of the rest of the team. You had Cagliano in, in Anaheim. I'm curious just what makes him, a, it seems like he's very valued off oh. ice. Like what? First of all, you're never going to find a, a better human being ever. And, uh, I mean, we would send all our young guys to him so he would – he would take them under his wing and show them how to live, how to how to eat, how to work, uh, the work ethic, all of these things uh, that uh, Cogs was so great at. And yet he comes to practice every day, puts his work boots on, and he just works as hard as he can. And uh, that's uh, what makes him special and why he's wanted by a lot of teams. Manson 
they had you guys had Manson live with them. I think when yeah, that yeah. would be you know that's something that probably helped uh, uh, Manson uh, an awful lot. You know, and we had a lot of guys live with him in in the four and a half years that I was there. What was your impression, Tyler Myers, when you arrived, and what, what do you see as him as a player now? Uh, asking tough questions here. I mean, I mean, I, we played a lot against him in Winnipeg. We went to. Uh, Minnesota obviously was the rival, but at, even in Anaheim we had playoff series against them. In Minnesota we had playoff series against them. Big guy, great stick, um, hard to get around. Uh, he was a little more offensive back then. It was probably the biggest difference, yeah. I think, in his game. He's had to evolve into more. He's had to evolve into a defensive defenseman, and, uh, and if the offensive stuff comes up, you, you can take it, you know. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux uh, before the game against the Avalanche, getting a chance to uh, pump the tires of Andrew Cogliano a little bit, Kale McCarr, uh, talk about what he's seeing from Tyler Myers right I now. I wouldn't say he really took the opportunity to pump Tyler Myers' tires. No, not as much. That's uh, a complicated, what was that? that a was tough a question. A tough question. What was your impression of this guy who's played 850 NHL games? More offensive. Before he had, before Boudreaux was coaching him was the answer there, which is true when you look at Tyler Myers' career. Used to score pretty frequently for a defenseman, not so much uh, anymore. Um, still uh, 1-0 in favor of Belgium. We will take a break here. By the way, somebody just texted in, hey, will you guys have a Canada postgame show? Yes, we will. Our very own Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair doing a national postgame show that will be on directly following our show. Uh, so stay tuned for that for uh, more Canada coverage here on uh, Sportsnet 650. One final segment of Canucks talk, however, coming up. Uh, <laughs> we will, uh, I have no idea how we've done 90 minutes of this show, Drans, but we'll do one final segment of uh, Canucks talk plus World Cup updates. That is coming up next. It is Sportsnet 650. Hey, welcome back. Final segment of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day. They will play the Colorado Avalanche at 7 o'clock tonight. Our pregame coverage, official pregame coverage, begins at 6. And uh, tonight I will be doing the intermissions with Bick and the postgame show with Bick Nazar. Batch and Randeep, of course, have the call. I also want to tell you, Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino and Delta. Join Bick, Randeep, and the SN 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for all your marquee matchups. Match Eatery and Public House offers the social traditions of a neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by for your chance to win a smart speaker. You can grab some Sportsnet 650 swag. You can talk sports with Bick and Randeep and the rest of us. Plus, we'll have a pair of Canucks tickets and a pair of tickets to the Seahawks game on December 11th to give away. Match Eatery and Public House located at the new Cascades Casino next to the Massey Tunnel. Um, final segment of Canucks Talk. Quick update. 71st minute, so 20 minutes plus stoppage time left. Uh, still 1-0 Belgium. Canada's uh, struggles to finish continue in this one. Belgium starting to get a lot more on the ball. Uh, there's been some last-ditch defensive efforts from Canada to prevent scoring chances for Belgium. So they're up against it. They're up against it, no doubt about it, in the final 20 minutes. But uh, still still a chance for a, a magical moment from Canada in their first World Cup game in 36 years. And, of course, as I said, spoiler alert and all that, we'll have the updates as they happen here on Canucks Talk. And stay tuned uh, for a full post-game show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair will be coming up right after our show. All right, back into it. 
realistically, no matter what, win or lose, they, this has been a phenomenal showing. This has been an incredible performance, yeah. like an absolute incredible performance. And this is this is not just rose colored or you know, no, it's ma- too, maple they, leaf colored Canadian they, glasses. Yeah, this is not a maple take. No, um, like you're you're seeing commentators across the football world. T- sitting up and take notice right now of what this Canadian team is doing. This Canadian team is going to be the like soccer appreciator, scrappy underdog team that people love to root for at this world. Yep. Yeah. We'll see how long it lasts, but the fact anytime you have an underdog that has the offensive talent that they have and the willingness to use it to be aggressive even against uh, you know, better opponents like Belgium, that that's always going to get people on your side. This is going to be a a fan fan favorite, crowd favorite team at this world cup and as you said like whatever the result is incredible performance incredible yeah. performance uh, and, and, so and far. which isn't to obscure the fact that they were wasteful in front of goal right i mean it wasn't a perfect performance by any means or, or it hasn't been to this point they may s- concede another one right they may end up losing two nothing for all we know but the draw win the croatia game and the you know assertiveness the ambition with which they played today I, I think there's a lot to take out of this, um, you know, that that's extremely positive, not just for this tournament, but the one in three years that mm. we're going to host in this on this continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about it. All right, more more soccer up- updates as necessary, but six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative: visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber dot. Calm. I want to revisit. Uh, we've only really scratched the surface of your trade value rankings, which are up at the Athletic right now, Drancer. We we ran through the kind of as you have it listed, bona fide core pieces tier: Pedersen, Hughes, Thatcher, Demko, in a tier by himself. Down below that, number four, as you say, the super premium rental tier uh, is Bo Horvat, and we talked a little bit about you know the potential fit between Bo Horvat and the Colorado Avalanche. It's it's going to be the, I don't want to say the elephant in the room because we're all certainly talking about it, but it is going to be the biggest storyline, much like JT Miller was, around the Canucks until it's resolved one way or another. And it does seem, I think because Bo Horvat's a little bit younger and maybe because he is a no doubt about it center, it seems like maybe more of a clean fit on the trade rental market than Miller was for some teams last season. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think it also comes down to Horvat's, you know, calm demeanor, right? I mean, Horvat's, there's no one who's going to be nervous about how Horvat fits into their locker room, right? Horvat is yeah. uh, beyond that in terms of how he's viewed. Now, if you look at, I mean, I have a list, I have like a list of trades, forward trades that I built years ago that I just up, keep updated so mm. that I can quickly reference what guys cost. Like, I always have a good sense of market value because I literally keep a spreadsheet. And Horvat, if you look through centermen who've been traded as rentals since 2017, so a fairly robust data set here. You're talking about guys like Kevin Hayes. You're talking about guys like Paul Stasny. You're talking about guys like Martin Hansel, Matt Duchesne when he got traded from Ottawa to Columbus, so the second Matt Duchesne trade. Um Centermen of Bo Horvat's quality very rarely move in, on the trade block, and they're very rarely rentals. Um, when they have been, like, what do all of those players that I listed have in common? Well, one, Bo Horvat's better. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Two, two, all of them, to a man, netted a first plus plus. Okay, we're talking, like, first prospect and conditional fourth. 
first prospect and an additional conditional second. We're talking about those sorts of returns. Now, <gasps> oh, oh, man. Now, in the event that Bohorvat... Another way to touch for Canada in the box, if you couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Go on. Now, in the event that Bohorvat <laughs> is at the top of the league in scoring... Oh, my goodness. You can tell that I'm really excited. Uh-huh. Scoring if Bohorvat... Oh, my... If Bohorvat's at the top of the league in scoring and winning 60% of draws... He becomes almost an unparalleled. Yeah, I mean that's like piece. I I have time for Martin Hansel, but that's a lot different than Martin Hansel. <laughs> well, <and, laughs> you know what I mean. Martin Hansel, first fourth prospect. Yeah, right. Um. So yeah, no, I mean the return that you would expect the Canucks to net in the event that Horvat gets dealt as a rental, first plus plus, and and probably a pretty significant premium plus. Like Matt Duchesne was fiftieth in the NHL in point scoring, fifty second on the day he was traded in from Ottawa to Columbus. And it was um, Vitaly Abramov, a first, and an additional conditional first. Right? I mean, that's a lot. It's a big return. You would you would definitely think that Bo Horvat should be in that category, particularly given his uh, superior sort of two-way value and, you know, the fact that he wins a ton of draws, right? Like, if... Horvat's a you know a thirty goal guy in March or whatever, or twenty five goal guy in March on pace to be a forty goal scorer. First and conditional first should be well within reach mm. based on the history of the market. Uh, and again, it's very very much like the J T Miller conversation, right? That it, it, as much as you can look at it and say, well, those are all the reasons why you shouldn't trade Bo Horvat. It's also the the quality of the return for this team makes it an undeniable discussion, especially when you pair it with the fact that we just have had no reports of any sort of traction or movement whatsoever between no, the there is none. and Bo and, Horvat. I mean, it doesn't make sense to sign Horvat for this team anymore. Yeah. They kind of made their decision when they signed JT Miller. They kind of backed a, a horse, and it's it's tough to do both. And, and maybe it wouldn't have been if the Canucks were 13 Well, three if this team was on a 100-point pace, it would be, we'd be having a much different discussion. Totally. Now, you could still argue it's the wrong move for the future, but internally and in terms of the you know just having the confidence to bring this core back, it would be much different. I don't know how you can bring this entire core back now. No, and, you, and the most movable piece is, is Bo Horvat. It makes very little sense to commit more money and cap dollars into a core group that's accomplished nothing. Bupkis. I don't mean to be rude about it, but like, this is the third year that's played out in the exact same way. Who has the appetite to watch more of this? Who has it for more? Yeah. Like, who who has that? I don't, I honestly don't know. It's not me, though. <laughs> it couldn't be me. <laughs> uh, it remains to be seen how much appetite uh, Canucks management has for it. Based on a lot of what they've said, it would seem like not much. Based on some of what they've done, it seems like maybe a little bit more uh, than that. So who knows? We'll see where it goes with Bo Horvat. But moving through the uh, the other tiers, uh, Vasily Podkolzin and Niels Hoaglander in that one spot. And that uh, next five and six in their own tier uh, on your list. And those are two really fascinating names because... Obviously, still a lot of upside, you know, still young players. I think they're both still in that. We've talked about this, right, where you go from the beloved young player in your ELC to the, you know, constantly picked apart and criticized guy making a lot of money later in your career. And they're still in the first part of that, right? They're still, we love these guys. Why aren't they playing more? Why aren't they getting power play opportunities? Okay, they're not producing, but that's just bad luck or that's because they're being put in a tough situation. They still have that emotional buy-in, I think, uh, from Canucks fans. 
But more than that, they have... Oh! More than that, they have years of control remaining. Sorry, that was a huge chance for Canada and a fabulous save by Jocelyn Thibault. Thibault Courtois, (laughs) showing why he is... Jocelyn Thibault Courtois. One of the best keepers uh, in the world. Just an incredible save. I believe that was off the head of Jonathan David. Yeah. Oh, that one looked labeled. That looked absolutely labeled. But uh, an incredible stop from the Belgian keeper in the 80th minute here. Uh, keeps it 1-0 in favor of Belgium. My goodness. Um, Canada's still coming. They're still coming. They're still pushing. They're yep. still pushing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> years of control from Salifa Colson and Niels Hoagland. Years of control. All right, they're on entry-level deals, years of control. What do all contenders need more than anything else? Cheap labor. Cheap labor. It's really that simple. Hoaglander and Pod Colson provide it. They would have higher value as a result. Than a variety of players, including guys who are affordable, like uh, Andre Kuzmenko, who have been far more productive or better over the course of the season, simply because the years of control. It's not just cheap labor this season, it's cheap labor beyond that. Yeah, and uh, Kuzmenko, as you said, stands to get more expensive um, right away, right after this season, especially based on his... He should be viewed as an attractive rental versus uh, being in that sort of cheap labor tier. The question that's Uh, interesting to me for Hoaglander and Pod Colson is... You look to me. They're not again. We talked about this in the first segment, or sometime in the first hour. The show's all running together uh, for me today. But um, just because someone's not an untouchable doesn't mean you're desperately trying to trade him. And certainly with Hoaglander and Pod Colson, you're not. A, they're not problems to be solved on your roster. You're not sitting there thinking, "Oh man, okay, how can we get the best value for these guys? Can we move them? Who's going to be interested?" But they're also clearly not untouchables, right? They're not guys that you absolutely can't move if the right situation uh, presents itself. What would qualify, in your mind, Rancer, as something approaching the right situation to move one of those players? You, I mean, you, for this team right now, <laughs> you need a like piece who fits better, right? You'd, you'd, have, you'd need a like defenseman, yeah, right? It would need to be Kalen Addison type guy. You know what I mean? Like a, a, And you're not getting him now that he's established as an everyday player. So... You know, uh, you'd probably have to take a step back, get a guy who hasn't established himself as an NHLer yet, like a like a Lambos or something like that, to stay in the Minnesota Wild uh, sandbox. So, um, you know, not an easy trade to complete. No, you probably have to take a step back in terms of NHL experience to make it worthwhile, um, or you use them bundled with. You know, Jim Rutherford's commentary, right? Like we might have to consider moving a player we wouldn't have considered moving. Right. Um, you know the price of getting off of one of the bad contracts if you're not willing to make it uh, a, a really core level piece might be one of these guys um the thing about you might have to take a step back in terms of nhl experience it's always so problematic when you're going from uh and one of the canadian defenders by the way has just been shown a yellow for a tackle from behind breaking up a belgian counterattack. so belgium will have uh, a free absolutely kick. a foul oh there. no doubt about it it Probably, well, I wouldn't say it could have been a red, but no, no, no. a no doubt he about it. He wasn't clear. A no doubt about it yellow. That's certainly for sure on Alistair Johnston, uh, who is defending for Canada against the Belgian counterattack. Belgium will have a free kick coming up here outside of Canada's uh, attacking area. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. Oh, when you're when you're trading a player, uh, the, you're, when you're doing the winger for defense thing, it's really hard to get value because winger is not a premium position and defense obviously is, especially when you have a young defender. I think a way that you can 
mitigate that is to do what you're saying, right? Not choose somebody who's not an established NHL player or pursue a player who's not an established NHL player, but still has some sort of that upside. Now there's, there's uncertainty there. You're making a bet. That guy might not pan out, but I think the alternative is just, you're giving up too much talent. Uh, if you were using pod Coles and, or, or Hoaglander in a trade ship like that, right? Like it almost has to be somebody who hasn't established themselves. Cause that's the only way you're going to get the necessary upside to really make you want to pull the trigger in a deal like that. Um, Kevin, six, Kevin DeBrina eyeing up a set piece. Yeah, terrifying. terrifying. Absolutely truly, terrifying. Truly, truly, like, awful. I, I'm a I'm a casual world footy fan, but, like, DeBrina got to be one of the best set piece takers in the oh, world. Like, just, just incredible just, right foot. He might be the best player in the world. He's a, he's phenomenal. Other, I mean, with the exception of Holland, but how much is Holland? You know, they're kind of like Hull and Oates. Sure. I'm just saying, they're kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah, what he's feeding them the ball. Alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I mean. They're greater together than they are individually. Uh, De Bruyne, a free kick into the box, headed over the Canadian bar. So LOL. it remains, it remains 1-0 uh, in favor of Belgium with, uh, what, about sweating seven, it out. seven minutes We're left? We're having a sweat in here now. <laughs> this, is, uh, yeah. this is sweating it out. This is extremely nervy. This is extremely, extremely you're, nervy. You're, I was surprised by your reaction. I think it was Kyle Laren, by the way, to the Laren header. You were like, <gasps> yeah. Why wouldn't I be? Oh, I don't know. Why wouldn't I be? Because we're live up on about air. It? Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> sometimes the emotion comes through. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes the emotion just comes through. Yeah, uh, somebody texts in, gentlemen. I'm loving this cringy, excited on your seat sports radio show, waiting for golden moments. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad you're appreciating it. I, and we're, it's it's kind of a mess, but we're having fun. It's been bizarre, but yeah, I think <laughs> we're I think we're we're doing it justice. Look, it's a weird situation. It's a it's a big day for Canada, and uh, we're along for the ride live with you. It's not going to make any sense. It's not going to make a lick of sense if you're, if you're listening on the pod later. But no, no, no. Uh, fun for our just understand. Yeah, fun for our lives. Just listeners. understand that the game is happening as we go. Yes, and we are doing our best to be contained. Another another header from uh, from inside the box. This one also for Kyle Lair, and that one goes over uh, the bar as well. We've That's got too four minutes plus stoppage time. Fantastic cross. Fantastic cross into the box there. Yeah, really an unfortunate finish. Uh, four minutes plus stoppage time. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, man. I'm getting we'll low. See. Here, this is going to be the weird. This is going to be like the the um, coping part of the podcast now. Yeah. Are you, are you going to go on a big Herdman out rant? No. <laughs> It's been a great performance, but no, man. honestly, even if they lose, this is a, a, an incredible credit to John. Except and the they team. were there, they were right there. Like they actually shouldn't have lost. That's painful. I'm really having a tough time with that. It is funny because I was talking to some of the I know, guys. You know what? You know what though? Like I'm the analyst guy, right? I got to be like, ooh, but Cold-hearted. they played so well. That no, no, they'll not be for Canada though. Forward. Not for Canada. You can you can be emotional for Canada. No, I'm not emotional about anything. That's not I how was- I work. I was talking to some of the guys uh, in the prep room and I was kind of saying, you know, they were saying, oh, I'm really nervous for this game. And I was saying, I'm very much in, you know, just happy to be here mode. Right. Like, just don't get embarrassed. Be competitive. Put up a good fight. Right. I'm just thrilled that Canada's here. But now, now that it's well. happening, it's I like, know. well, they should have won. <laughs> you know, I'm not I am no longer just happy Herdman to be out. here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's basically what I'm saying. That's basically what I'm saying. No, I mean, it's um, yeah. Twenty one attempts a goal to seven. That's a that's a that's 70, incredible. It's a seventy five percent Corsi four percentage. I saw, I saw somebody um, uh, it came through on my Twitter feed, so I don't have the the source. But after the half, I think Canada had fourteen shot attempts at half. That's the most in a half at a World Cup game without scoring since two thousand six. No, yeah. oh yeah. pain. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. 
painful. Uh, Renfrew Marco says Herdman for prime minister. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> this might be the the most impressed of anyone's Belgium. ever been with like. <gasps> Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Another another nervy moment in the box. <laughs> Woo! We're having fun. Five more minutes left for us, Trancer. This is intense. This I'm is extremely in- intense. I haven't seen a n- moment that nervy in the box since Ed Jovanovsky. <laughs> well played. Let's yeah. bring it back. We'll bring it back to the Canucks here. We'll, we'll try to for the final five minutes as we're on the edge of our seats as Canada presses for the equalizer. Uh, against Belgium, 650-650 uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, as we as we refocus on uh, on our trade tiers discussion here, this one comes in unsigned. Why can't the Canucks ever be in on a player uh, like Addison or Marino? I'm sure the Canucks could have paid what other teams paid uh, to get them. I mean, not necessarily. The John Marino one is interesting because obviously we heard that name come up a lot. And it looks like a, a tough, <laughs> a tough miss right now, right? That he's doing the things he's doing uh, for the so New Jersey Devils. It's a miss Devils. for a lot of teams, and you know, you get these occasionally where everyone knows. Like everyone knows, and yet you also know that the team's intent on making the mistake. Like it's so weird to revisit that one, just because we all knew Marino was good. Like we all knew, we talked about him at length. The whole business knew, and only one team's there to pay a second and a failed first rounder for it. Crazy, it's man. it's it's odd. It's odd. You get those sometimes, though. Uh, Kalen Addison went to Pittsburgh for what? Was that the Galchenyuk, um, Jason Zucker deal? That's a bad one for I Pittsburgh. Think so. And that was, of course, while current Canucks management were still with the Penguins. But that's a bad trade. Yeah. Anyways, as you said, another. Um this one, he points out, obviously, the Devon Taves one, another one. Every team missed out on him, too. Yeah, that that was that was tough. Uh, it was a tough one. I, yeah. Devon Taves was another guy. Yeah, I don't think everyone knew, but if you watched the Islanders enough, you knew he was their best defenseman. Um, and, and and I say that as, like, Adam Pellick's biggest fan. I'm going to skip the uh, the next year, which is Mikheyev, Garland, Besser, right, which you say useful player, depressed market. We know about the contract status, the market for wingers, all of that makes it tricky, especially in season. Maybe it's something you revisit in the offseason. Well, it is something you revisit in the offseason if you're intent on moving those players. I want to skip down to uh, the depth rental tier. You have four defensemen of four of the collection of third pair guys who are not enough to make the Canucks. A viable defense, but could all individually be useful somewhere else. It's Luke Shen, Ethan Bear, Kyle Burrows, Travis Dermott. And obviously Shen and Burrows pending UFAs, Bear and Dermott pending RFAs after this season, Drancer. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I from a trade value perspective, like, you know, I think Ethan Bear's probably already gone up in value from when they acquired him. Well, especially as you say in the piece, if you're not if you're not requiring the other team to take a salary back like the Canucks did in yeah. Lane Peterson, and, and maybe you even retain right there. Well, but you're increasing his, the value, and his contract's already been retained, so he's now a 1.8 million dollar piece. Yeah. So already, uh, you've got you know a, a certain seg- like he's already cheaper, um, and he's been an everyday player now, right? Like now you're not acquiring a guy who's been scratched 21 games in a row. You're acquiring a guy who's played major minutes for the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, his trade value is already up, but Luke Shen would have the most value and the most interest of that group. He relatively unique profile brings something a little bit different uh, relative to a variety of the other teams. So 
Um, you know, that's sort of how I stacked them up. I think Kyle Burrows, you'd be surprised by the amount of time teams have for a tough right-handed guy who works mm-hmm. really hard. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he could really net an asset for this team, you know, not more than like a fifth or fourth, but a mid-round pick is still a good return for a guy you sort of signed originally to be in Abbotsford. And uh, lastly, Travis Dermott. Now, Dermott's the most uncertain, so he sort of ranks last. Also, Dermott profiles as the type of player that the industry doesn't typically view as a needle mover, right? I mean, I think Dermott is the opposite side of the coin of Ethan Bear, right? Where where Bear's appreciated, Dermott I don't think would return a third now, right? Um, partly that's because of injury, lot partly of, yeah. that's because he hasn't played, but also it's because of the player type, right? I mean, like puck moving third pair guy who's not doesn't bring sort of that toughness element and can't really play in t- against toughs even when he's healthy right is like a pure third pair guy uh, not a lot of cachet for that type of player around the league typically speaking uh luke shen and kyle burrows but especially luke shen feel like the biggest layups at the deadline for the canucks right oh, like uh, simple market honestly, for them there well i don't see why all four wouldn't be like this team only owns 18 of 21 draft picks over the next three years. Does that make a lick of sense? No. No, it does not. <laughs> it absolutely does I mean, not. I mean, you're telling you like, I like Bear as a player. I like Dermot as a player. I like Shen as a player. I like Kyle Burroughs as a player. But Kyle Burroughs and Luke Shen are proof that you can find these players for free, not even when the market opens, but like several days after the market opens. Do that. Mm-hmm. Do that four times. And net and net a bunch of mid round picks and net a bunch of bullets, a bunch of assets for all four plus Horvat. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Matt in Toronto, Texan. Gentlemen, thanks for this episode. Your reactions had me cracking up 3,000 kilometers away. I appreciate it, Matt. I hope everyone else enjoyed it. Uh, again, we're going to have live post-game coverage with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Final 90 seconds of stoppage time. Canada still desperately trying to press for that equalizer. Uh, again, Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair will break it all down. We will be back tomorrow. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.